It's January 2022. Welcome to a new year and another episode of Muse News, the BCMA's monthly museum sector news podcast. Each month, we recap some of the latest news, happenings, and announcements from museums, galleries, and heritage organizations across BC and beyond. I'm Lorenda, and he's Ryan. Join us as we explore the latest Muse News. Thanks, Lorenda. Kelowna's first museum curator and author, Ursula Surtees, passed away at age 94. Ursula Surtees, the first curator of the Kelowna Centennial Museum and a champion for cultural diversity, passed away peacefully on Saturday. She was 94. Mayor Colin Bazrin remembered Surtees at the conclusion of Monday's city council meeting as a cultural pioneer. Surtees, her husband John and young daughter Pat located to the Okanagan in the 1940s from the United Kingdom following World War II and eventually became involved with a local museum. Over the years, Surtees was honored with BC and Canadian Museum Society's Order of Merit, the BC Museums Association Golden Service Award, the City of Kelowna's Citizen of the Year, Queen's Jubilee Medal, Confederation Medal, and a BCMA Lifetime Membership. Ursula will be missed. The Maritime Museum of BC is launching a new exhibit focused on the experiences of LGBTQ2S people at sea and wants to include resident stories. Set to launch mid-May, Queer at Sea, Tales from the 2S LGBTQ Plus Community aims to highlight the historical and current roles and contributions queer, trans, and two-spirit people have made to the province's maritime sector. The museum also hopes the exhibit helps acknowledge the discrimination LGBTQ2S people continue to face in marine sectors. To help fill the gallery space, the Maritime Museum has put a call out to BC residents. It's important for queer, trans, and two-spirit communities to speak for themselves and share their own stories, Museum Executive Director Brittany Viss said. We are seeking input from the queer, trans, and two-spirit individuals who are willing to voluntarily share their stories for use in the exhibit. The invitation is open to any LGBTQ2S person who has a connection to the history or culture of the maritime sector, lives in a seaside community, or partakes in ocean pastimes or jobs. They can share their stories through a written entry, an oral or video interview, photographs, loan personal objects, or short quotes with the option of doing so anonymously. The museum is running a postcard art contest leading up to the exhibit launch. Anyone can enter as long as their design fits the theme of Queer at Sea. Three postcards will be chosen to be displayed in the exhibit and sold in the gift shop. The winners will also receive a cash prize. More information on story submission and the postcard contest can be found on the museum's website at mmbc.bc.ca slash queeratsea. The deadlines are March 4th for stories and February 11th for postcards. City of Surrey eyeing to build $60 million interactive art museum. Last month, City of Surrey Council approved a five-year capital budget that set aside the additional $15 million required to build the Interactive Art Museum. The city will spend $2.8 million in 2024 and the remaining $12.2 million in 2025. The estimated cost of the museum is $60 million. This is planned as a 60,000 square feet facility featuring exhibition spaces, event spaces, a performance hall, as well as creative spaces for learning, such as a library, tech lab, and maker lab, and an open studio for artists and residents. No aspiring timeline for completion has been established, and the precise location within the city center has not yet been identified. But city staff has suggested a partnership with a private developer that integrates the museum into a mixed-use development that could accelerate the project. Over to you, Lorenda. 
The MV Sea Lion, the oldest wooden tugboat on the West Coast, played a significant role in the province's forestry and maritime industries and an infamous one in its social past. Now, all that's left of the 116-year-old tug is a partial skeleton. Its planks have been stripped away and salvageable parts stockpiled for museums by crews at the Canadian Maritime Engineering Yard in Nanaimo. It had lots of character, lots of interesting history, and it's with a heavy heart that I'm doing this project, Jim Drummond, project lead on the 114-foot sea line's demolition, said this week. The sea line was the first tug to pull massive Davis log rafts weaved together with chains and cables, some 500 feet long and carrying 2.5 million board feet of lumber. The tug answered the call for spruce used in aircraft production during the First World War and for lumber during the Second World War. The sea line was also at the center of conflict involving the migrant freighter Komagata Maru when 340 Sikhs, 12 Hindus, and 24 Muslims tested Canada's immigration laws in 1914. That summer, the tug was loaded with 125 armed immigration officers and police in an attempt to force the freighter from Vancouver Harbor, but angry passengers repelled the tug by throwing coal and bricks. The Kamagata Maru was eventually escorted by the Sea Lion and a warship after a court ruled it was not allowed to land. The event remains a scar on Canadian history. The Sea Lion worked as a tug until 1969 and lived many lives and engine changes since. Through several owners as a private yacht, liveaboard home, charter boat, eco-tour vessel, and fishing lodge. Drummond, who grew up in boatyards on the coast and lived and worked aboard Drummond, who grew up in boatyards on the coast and lived and worked aboard tugboats, watching the sea lion at work several times, says he wanted to be part of the famous tug's final chapter. The sea lion has been sitting derelict in Maple Bay for the past five years and was removed in November because of environmental concerns after the abandoned vessel began listing to one side. There was initial interest in preserving the tug, but in the end, preservation proved too costly. It was either going to be someone with very deep pockets or a government job, said Drummond, and it just didn't happen. So Drummond's bid to dismantle the tug was accepted by the federal government. The sea line was built on a one-piece keel with a 120-foot fir log milled three feet deep and two feet wide and launched into the waters at Coal Harbor in Vancouver in 1905. At 218 gross tons, the original sea line was powered by a single Mackey and Baxter triple expansion maritime, sea maritime steam engine and soon developed a reputation as one of the best polars on the coast. Drummond marvels at the original craftsmanship of the tug. The joinery work is incredible, he said. I think of all the hours poured into building this boat and how they did everything without power tools. They used chisels, planes, everything was by hand. To do a restoration on this tug, you would need dozens of people working for two years. Where would you get the money for that? And where would you find the people? They just don't exist anymore. Some wooden planks have been salvaged, and portholes, doors, railings, a few fixtures from the interior cabin, and plaques from the engine room have also been set aside. The Royal BC Museum has requested some pieces for its collection, and some planking is being sent to a National Sikh Association in Toronto that requested a part of the tug, said Drummond. He said many of the original features had been stripped away by various owners over the years, and more recently pirates arriving by water around the Nanaimo Yard had taken more. One crew member in his 80s who showed up at the Canadian Maritime Engineering Yard in Nanaimo with papers showing he worked aboard the sea line was given an undisclosed piece of the tug. It brought tears to his eyes, said Drummond. Online Vernon Museum Series explores truth and reconciliation. Learn plus connect toward truth and reconciliation kicks off January 20th. A new museum and archives of Vernon program centered on truth and reconciliation. 
is set to begin later this month. Learn Plus Connect Towards Truth and Reconciliation is a free online program that aims to educate participants on the impacts of colonialism throughout history and up to the current day. Facilitated by MAV Program Coordinator Amy Timlick and Curator Lashia Rosnow, the series will explore how colonial perspectives of history influence our understanding and actions regarding truth and reconciliation, while discussing ways of moving forward. Quote, The series is responding to a great deal of public interest in the North Okanagan, says Rosnow. The programs and events we've offered have looked at ways in which colonialism has impacted us all, Indigenous communities, early settlers, and our contemporary culture. Quote, People have asked for more and different ways to explore these topics in open, honest, and equitable ways, says Tim Luck. A remote First Nations on the Central Coast is calling on the Royal British Columbia Museum to return a totem pole and other artifacts that are considered sacred and were lost by its people more than a century ago. Hereditary Chief Derek Snow said the totem and other items, including carved canoes and masks and regalia associated with potlatch ceremonies, were either taken or sold under duress from the Nahalk First Nation near Bellacoola from the 1900s to the mid-1950s. Many of the items ended up in museums, including the totem at the Royal BC Museum. Four Nahalk hereditary chiefs were promised by then-CEO Jack Lohman that the artifacts would be returned after they visited the museum in October 2019 and saw the totem standing in the First Peoples Gallery, the First Nations said. Derek has said his great-grandfather's spirit is still in the totem pole and is not at rest. The spirit of my great-grandfather is stuck there, trapped in that museum. The pole must be brought back to free a spirit and for the next generations of our peoples. It is my job on behalf of all the hereditary chiefs to bring the pole and artifacts back where they belong. Derek said the museum has done nothing towards repatriating the Nahalk totem poles and important artifacts. Instead, he said the museum indicated to him in a November email that there is another claim to the totem pole, despite his family label on it. To prove that there is no other Nahalk claim, Derek has obtained signed letters of support for his claim from all 14 hereditary chiefs of the Nahalk nation and from the Nahalk selected band council. He expects the museum to pay for the pole's transportation back to its original site. In a statement, the Royal BC Museum said it has always been clear that repatriation of the pole would take time since it is located on the museum's third floor and there is no clear path to removing it from the building. It was agreed to have a series of planning meetings that include the Nahalk hereditary chiefs and elected officials to co-develop a timeline, a budget to cover the cost of repatriating the pole, and to address other important logistics to ensure the safe transportation of the pole. The museum acknowledged that meetings have yet to take place due in part to the impact of COVID-19, as well as other scheduling challenges. The museum looks forward to proceeding with the agreed upon meetings and developing a course of action that will ensure the safe return of this cultural treasure, it said. The Nahalk have received support in their quest from the United Nations International Federation for the Protection of the Rights of Ethnic, Religious, Linguistic, and Other Minorities. In a letter to the Royal BC Museum and Acting CEO, the international organization cited the 2007 UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, otherwise known as UNDRIP, which Canada and the province support. We encourage the Royal BC Museum to expedite the return of Derek Snow and the Nahalk People's Ancestral Totem and other cultural artifacts, said Michael Van Walt Van Praag, chairman of the UN Group. The loss to the people of these spiritual, cultural, historical, and familial objects is incalculable, and delays to their repatriation have been and continue to be particularly painful. This is about reconciliation, said Derek. Squamish and Salitooth nations signed memorandums of understanding with MONOVA, 
After six years of working with the nations, the Museum of North Vancouver has officially signed memorandums of understanding with Squamish and Salatooth nations. A first for any museum in Coast Salish territories, Monova, the Museum of North Vancouver, Squamish Nation, and Salatooth Nation have signed respective memorandums of understanding in an effort to strengthen the relationship between the two host nations and the museum. Inspired to act after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission presented its calls to action in 2015, Monova's Indigenous Voices Advisory Committee has been working for over six years to take its informal relationship with the nations and turn it into a more formal and structured one. The focus of the agreements is to create the space for meaningful cultural knowledge sharing to inform the North Vancouver community and in the long term to improve communication between Monova and the nations and to, quote, understand, respect, and follow appropriate protocols that will in turn lead to a strengthened relationship, the museum said in a statement. A new exhibition exploring the importance of nourishment and care in a time of fear and uncertainty is opening this month at the Richmond Art Gallery. Nourish, on display from January 22nd to April 3rd, features work by artist Zuo Mizonk and American poet Jane Wong. According to the Richmond Art Gallery curator Nang Caponia, this exhibit is very timely. The COVID-19 pandemic has illuminated many of the issues raised in Nourish, isolation, fear of food supply shortages, poverty, and the importance of mental health, said Caponia in a release. It has also prompted many to recognize the quiet pleasures that can be found in making, from DIY projects to sharing a meal together. The ways we nourish ourselves and each other speaks volumes about our personal and collective identities. The exhibit features a new work by Mizonk, named after the size of land in Metro Vancouver that Taiwanese-Canadians Lin and Chen call home. Six Acres is a projected animation produced from watercolor drawings on paper and was developed from their observations of living and working in the peaceful outdoor area. The pair moved to the rural stretch of land after experiencing 9-11 from the rooftop of their Brooklyn studio. They decided to move outside of urban centers in search of a natural environment. Their lives today center around the natural rhythms found in the tranquility of their new surroundings, such as the sounds of a running creek and ripples across a pond. Nourish also marks the Canadian premiere of Seattle-based Wong and her installation. After preparing the altar, the ghosts feast feverishly. Visitors can explore an oversized round dining table that holds bowls containing fragments of a poem written by Wong, examining a chandelier built of soup spoons, and watch the long labors of video of Wong reciting her poem while making dumplings. Food imagery plays homage to Wong's experiences growing up in her family's Chinese-American restaurant in the 1980s and 90s. It also recalls her family's history of hunger during the Great Leap Forward, a campaign to implement agricultural and industrial reforms that claimed an estimated 36 million lives through the resulting Great Famine. Wong's artistic... Wong's artworks address this historical juxtaposition of hunger and gluttony, as well as familial labor and silenced histories. Richmond Art Gallery is also presenting a variety of supporting programming for Nourish in partnership with Hashtag Richmond Has Heart, a city-run initiative that fosters community connectedness by hosting uniquely Richmond events for the public. Programming during the exhibit's run includes a creation of a virtual cookbook with community submissions, local chefs preparing recipes, and artist talks held in English and Mandarin. For more details about the gallery's COVID-19 safety precautions, programming information, and registration, you can visit their website. To stay up to date on breaking Muse news, follow our Twitter at BC Museums ASSN. And if you'd like your Muse news to be shared on this podcast, email the BCMA at museum.bc.ca. Thank you and good night. <laughs>